Hello, everybody. I am Melanie Reef. And I'm Jessica Benoist Young. And this is Best and this Line. This is Best Line, Worst Line. We still have where... not figured out how to do that. I know. It's okay. I know. It's okay. Maybe that'll be our thing that we always do it differently. And yeah, we can't, off. we can't get it. Nope. Mm-hmm. You don't know what you're going to get. And you know, I'm here you don't for that. Know what to expect, but hey. Here for that. Uh, we talk about movies, TV shows, speeches, skits, and more, and we choose our best line and worst line from each. This week we traveled back to 1985. A, a great year. A great <laughs> year. Wonder, like, iconic year for um, especially teen stories to be told. We've got two movies that uh, follow the stories of teenagers. And uh, which, one, and one that yeah, is very much um, a different generation. The opposite of teenagers. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about this a little bit later, but we will put a link in the show description to a really amazing article that I cannot believe I'm just seeing, uh, written for The New Yorker by Molly Ringwald. And she she kind of talks about how before John Hughes, there really wasn't a lot of big mainstream movies being made about realistic teenage stories and four, like, marketed towards teenagers. Right. And then as I was watching, I watched that movie, then I read that article, and then I watched Back to the Future after, and I was like, wow, this is about, like, a teenager, too. And it doesn't go as much into, like, what... No, I can't what say... Marty's high school life is like. Well, you kind of do with the is, bullying. Yeah. But, and I can't say Back to the Future is, like, the most realistic movie in the world. But no. <laughs> that was never the intent of that. But we should also say that the other movie, the John Hughes movie that we were talking about, is uh, Breakfast Club. The Breakfast Club. So that, that really can be said for most John Hughes, Hughes movies, I assume. Especially the ones in the 80s. Yes. Yeah. Um, of that ilk, the pretty and pink, the sixteen candles, mm-hmm. the Ferris Bueller, although Bueller is a little yeah. different. Um, but yeah, I did think it was interesting, like that Back to the Future was framed from a teenager's perspective. Like I think there's definitely when you go to write a story like that, I think there's definitely the automatic thing that you would feel like you should do the instinct as the writer would be to deal with the person in the science position oh to have know, it have the Doc's story framed then. around them right and it, it's i think it's obviously because of the way that it turns out and the way that it was written and who it deals with and like you know it's a family classic yes. but i just you know it is sort of surprising when you think about it that you know molly ringwald is right Teenagers were typically like <laughs> fodder for horror movies, honestly. or they were, like, or they were played um, by Olivia Newton-John and John Travolta, yeah, who were not decidedly not teenagers. I mean, I think, right? Like, I think uh, Michael J. Fox is in his twenties when he's recording when he filmed Back to the Future, mm-hmm. 
And yeah, and I'll talk about the ages in Breakfast Club when we get to Breakfast okay. Club for sure, because um, I had some interesting, I had some really weird observations when I was watching it this time. Yeah, I did. I was too. like, huh, right off the bat, it jumped out at me. It never did when I was younger. But as I was watching, I was like, this person looks old and this person looks young. Yeah. And like, it was really jumping it's out really at me. It's really apparent. Like, yeah. Well, I think that's um, like... Anyways. Anyway, so as oh, Jessica said, we <laughs> did travel back in time for to 1985 for all three of these. These um, Back to the Future came out in 1985, as did The Breakfast Club. Um, but we should, if we're talking about time travel, we should like really start with the time travel movie and hop back to, to Back to the Future, which like arguably, I mean, I think when you mentioned Back to the Future, most people would say like, it's a perfect movie. Like perfect or near perfect. So many people just have such a fondness for it, both Back to the Future and Back to the Future 2. Just classic, classic movies. There's so much that's quotable. I can't tell you how many times I've thought about dressing up as Marty McFly for Halloween. Um, I mean, it's an easy <laughs> Same. costume. Same. You, can, you yeah. can do it so easily. I have a, I had a professor in grad school whose dog was named after Marty. My dog. <laughs> Your dog is named? My dog is Marty. Yeah. Yeah. He's it's just Partially, he's half named Mar- after Marty McFly, and he's half named after Martin Short. So, oh, I mean, great yeah. choices, <laughs> yeah, um, and incredibly on brand. Um, yeah, but <laughs> like, it's just like there, there are so many people love this movie, and oh, yeah, there, there's good reason. I hadn't seen it in a while, and I just found myself having a really, really hard time writing down any lines, good or yeah. bad, because I was just enjoying the movie. Yes. And I had this uh, conversation with Trevor, too. I was like, um, you know, it's hard. He was like, he watched me on and off while I was watching Breakfast Club. And I wrote so many pages of notes for Breakfast Club. And I didn't really write very much for Back to the Future. And there's this difference when you have this, like, concept genre type movie you have something that's like a fantasy or a sci-fi mm-hmm. or supernatural or something like that. I feel like so many of the lines serve a story purpose. So it's like, I can't really like take it out of context. I can't, it's not doing anything great on its own because everything, if you do it correctly, which Steven Spielberg, I want to say like, 98% of the time does. Right. As I said, near perfect. It, yeah. It has this, like, every single thing is moving something forward. Every single thing has a place. There's not really, like, a line that I can pull out that's, wow, this line is, like, just incredible on its own. You get yeah. that more with, like, your more comedy line, more comedy movies, more dramatic movies. Um yeah, I had more some movies that are a little bit more about character and less about like an intricate actiony type plot like well, this. And Still so a many fantastic movie, fantastic, <laughs> very so different. Much. You just get sucked into it, and you're like not writing stuff down because even after I've seen it thirty five times, times in my life, probably. I mean, it's so um, much. But I will say, like, go ahead. 
No, you you first because I'm going to launch into a thing. <laughs> okay, um, so so much of it too for as as far as like the lines go, and I had the exact same thing. I was like, the lines are like the script's great. Why am I not yeah. finding like actually my best line in it? I'll, we'll get to that, but like. I was like, why am I not finding like the line? Like in the previous movies we've done, it's been so clear. Like what? Like and for Breakfast Club too, it was like my best line. I knew it. Um, but for- really, I had such a hard time with that one. Well, I have like five still. I don't even know what I'm gonna say. I have. <laughs> <laughs> I've I've been that too. I've had, but like for this one, it was like I had. If we were like basing it on our criteria that we've talked about in the past, I'm like, I don't really. I didn't have a best line that fit that because it was like everything fits together. Like you need the whole script to make the movie and so much of it too is like how it's filmed how it's shot like the action sequences the the way the camera angles are like the way you the way the movie is introduced with the uh, the event inventions like that sets up that's as much of a character and because so many of the lines like come back like you start with Biff at the yes. very beginning yeah. saying the exact same thing that Biff said in a, a flashback. It is a callback heavy brigade. <laughs> Which um, works. That's like, I think works that for my line does that for me, though. Okay. So you'll have to tell me if I'm right or not. Okay. Well, I mean, for- we can jump right in. Uh, we my can. Best... But you were going to jump into a different uh, uh, a thing, though. Yeah. Let me just get this out of the way real quick. Okay. And I texted you about it. You and I did. said I would try to explain it. And in lieu of explaining it, uh, there's a clip from another show that someday we may have to get to okay. just because you know how I feel about it. Uh, so but anyway, intrigued. I was watching this with a little bit more of an analytical eye, obviously. Like, we got to stop doing this to some of our favorite movies. I'm going to find one at some point where I'm like, oh, no, this is actually terrible. That didn't happen at all. But because I was really, I was kind of getting nitpicky with the time travel thing, because it kind of ties into my worst line. So when I realized what my worst line was, then I was like sort of paying really close attention to this aspect There's this thing called the bootstrap paradox, and it's a, basically in time travel you have, like, you can create loops, right? And what we think when, when everybody's telling you about, like, the rules of time travel and all this stuff, like, what you think is you start here, you go back, and then if you change anything, you come out and it's out of the loop, right? Uh But... There's this idea of like a closed loop, okay, where you were always supposed to go in, right? <laughs> I'm not gonna explain this well. And that something when you went in, you went to the past, and something okay. you did in the past made it so that you had to go in. Or, like, made it apparent that you already went in. That you already... You think this is the first time that it's happening, but you've always been in this loop. In this loop. Okay. And you don't know where it started. Right? Oh, okay. Because there were things that already happened. So here's... Let me play the little clip for you. So there's this man. He has a time machine. Up and down history he goes, zip, 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 getting into scrapes. 
Another thing he has is a passion for the works of Ludwig van Beethoven. And one day he thinks, what's the point of having a time machine if you don't get to meet your heroes? So, off he goes to 18th century Germany. But he can't find Beethoven anywhere. No one's heard of him. Not even his family have any idea who the time traveler is talking about. Beethoven literally doesn't exist. This didn't happen, by the way. I've met Beethoven. Nice chap. Very intense. Loved an arm wrestle. No, this is called the bootstrap paradox. Google it. The time traveler panics. He can't bear the thought of a world without the music of Beethoven. Luckily, he brought all of his Beethoven sheet music for Ludwig to sign. So he copies out all the concertos and the symphonies, and he gets them published. He becomes Beethoven. And history continues with barely a feather ruffled. My question is this. Who put those notes and phrases together? Who really composed Beethoven's Fifth? So is he Beethoven? Okay. But if he was Beethoven the whole time, then how did he get the sheet music in the future, right? So it was it's like a you know, it doesn't yeah. make sense. <laughs> yeah, no, <laughs> but I But that's I... but that's basically it. So so when he is in the diner and we're the first time we're I saw to, it, we're and back he to gives, Back to the Future. This is Marty. Yes, Back to the Future. So Marty's in the diner and he's listening to Goldie. Mm-hmm. Yeah, okay. Uh-huh. Like bitching about cleaning up and and like telling uh George to stand up for himself and all this stuff. He basically gives Goldie the idea to run for mayor and that man is the mayor in the future. Right. So I was like, okay, you know, maybe that's kind of a coincidence. Like that guy could have just decided that for other reasons, you know, he maybe kind of has that personality. Right. But then he tells Doc about the flux capacitor. So Doc doesn't really seem like he thinks that when he fell and hit his head in the bathroom, like that was that big of a deal until Marty says that's the flux capacitor capacitor. and that's what makes it work. So he's planted two ideas now. Then at the dance, we're supposed to believe that he created rock and roll by being at the dance, playing Johnny B. Good and Marvin Berry Mm -hmm. calling his cousin Chuck, Chuck Berry and giving him the idea. Yep. That's three. And four, he gives his mother the idea for his own name. Yes. So four instances that we're supposed to believe are just kind of cute coincidences, but actually could prove that he was always supposed to go back in time and he's been in, he's created a closed loop, except... 
And this is where it gets weird, and I don't know enough about time travel. So somebody who watches a lot of sci-fi is going to have to, like, set me straight after this. Can you have a closed loop, but also change it? Because that's what I don't understand, is, like, he's... It seemed to me like he's been operating in this closed loop where the same things just keep happening, except he changes it. He changes his present by... With, you know, by making his dad confident. Right. And that's a really so interesting... can part. you be in a closed loop and also change it? I don't... That part was like... I feel I mean, like this a... is where the logic of time travel just always gets me. Because those are things all bumped me, too. It was just like, okay, but he, like... You know, oh, he gave him that idea. Like, would he have gotten that idea if to run for mayor if he didn't say it? Or, like, right. who else was there? I mean, the flux capacitor one... I mean, that's what the movie like the crux of the movie is based on the flux capacitor. But like, I think that one, it could be like a, I mean, that one could be explained as like, Oh, doc 30 years in the future was like, Oh, remember this like one time that I thought of this thing. Like that one could have been, could be explained, but then like the Marty, like there's just so much there that it's like, yeah. I mean, and that's where like, if you really want to get into the logical analysis of it, like, right. okay, it bumps. And I don't but... think it's supposed to be that kind of movie. Like, no. It's... And I don't, like, think it takes away anything from the movie for me at all. It's no, just kind of like, this is why <laughs> time travel movies are hard. And I, I applaud anybody who gives it a oh shot. Oh my gosh. Like, Have you seen... Or um... does, you know, a show of it for, what, 60 70 years is how long Doctor Who's been on? Something like that? Like, jeez. Or, like, Um, have you seen... I haven't watched... I only watched the pilot, but I'd be interested to go back and watch, like, Russian Doll, where... I did, yeah. Okay, Mm -hmm. like, I only watched the pilot of it, but that's the same kind of... Like, that's definitely a closed loop, where she's living the same day over and over and over Mm -hmm. again. I mean, one of my mom's favorite shows is Quantum Leap. We were just talking about this yesterday. Yeah. Like, any of those... Any of those types... I mean, I love Quantum Leap. I wait. I should say, I love Scott Bakula. Yeah, I mean, just to be clear, I love Scott Bakula. Quantum Leap is good. I have it's a, good. I have a, like nostalgic fondness for like the same way we were talking about Murder She Wrote last week. I have a nostalgic fondness for Con- Quantum Leap because that's like the type of show that it was for me, you know. Yeah. But any of these time travely type things, they're just like I, I think I would have trouble writing anything to do with time travel I don't because think I would get so mired in the logic that's why I like whodunits yeah. because like the logic you can you can make sense of the logic yeah. and it you don't need to have any of all those things figured out or like looking at something like the good place where the rules are so intense like the rules of the world have to be so intense yeah. and so exact I don't think back to the future necessarily is as much because it's it's I think those are like those moments are like a little bit of a wink like oh yeah yeah, yeah, yeah yeah it's not as like deep in the rules of the time travel as some of the other examples but like right. oh my gosh you have to have the rules of the world so 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 clearly mm-hmm. defined to not mess it up one of my other issues with the time travel thing is we we brought up the fact that he does change his parents mm-hmm. in his present yeah because of having because of the way that things pan out his dad stands up to biff and in his original 1985 his dad had been bullied by biff and was just kind of like a little spineless and pushover a little a lot (laughs) and his dad's like 
a famous or he's not a famous sci-fi author but he has published a sci-fi book like on the side um so he he's very confident his mom is really confident and having fun and like all of this stuff because they have this more they they have a better relationship because they had to go through this thing with Biff right um when they got together once Marty was involved and i feel like the only growth that Marty had in the movie is completely ruined because he doesn't change very much. He doesn't like it doesn't change him except he learns to empathize with his parents when they were his age. Right. And how that would affect his relationship with his parents as they were as he knew them. Right. Originally. Then he gets back to the future. They're totally different people. And so there was no point. No point. (laughs) No point in him spending that time getting to know them and understand why they were the less than perfect versions of themselves that he was struggling to connect with. He just didn't get them. He didn't understand them. He didn't have very much interest in them because they were like subpar for him. Right. And then he got to go back and see the struggles that they had when they were his age and how similar they were to his struggles. And then that's ruined by the fact that they, they are the cool sort of perfect versions that he expected them to be when he gets back. And I don't like that. It bothered me. Arguably, I would have liked he it would be different. Just... Yeah, like arguably, if he was raised by those two people as opposed to the like mousy guy and yeah. the, like the, how his mom is in the beginning, like versus the confident people, he would be a different like his he would mm-hmm. be different. Arguably, and you don't see yeah. any of that like at all. So there's there's definitely that too. I mean, it's yeah, some of that logic, the time travel logic is definitely flawed in some ways um so what was your worst line then this all just sort of plays into the fact that there's this pervasive idea being spewed by marty at various points that he doesn't believe it though he very clearly shows right before all of the time travel happens that he believes it Mm-hmm. He's buying into it. He is hyping Doc up. He's like, you built a time machine. This really works. Blah, blah, blah. He gets back to 1955 and he says, this must be a dream. No, <laughs> dude. Literally. No. Like, what does he What does he say? He says, yeah, he says, this has got to be a dream. When less than three minutes before... He was having an in-depth conversation with Doc about how it was time travel. So, like, okay, man, like, maybe you got a little bit of a concussion, like... I mean, it was a pretty intense trip. Swerving through (laughs) into the barn and all this stuff. But when he wakes up, when he gets home, he says, gosh, what a nightmare. And I was like, Marty! (laughs) 
Right. It's not a dream. It wasn't a nightmare. It was time travel. Right. <laughs> you know it was time travel. And if you don't know that, then... Well, and then when Doc comes... stupid? <laughs> well, and then when Doc comes back at the very end of the movie, too, he's like, clearly has just been from the future. He's like, you're coming with me. Like, And he yeah. just like, without hesitation, Marty's like, okay. Um, yeah. <laughs> my worst line is similar just because it was like so I like wrote down a bunch of lines and actually this is my problem with both this and breakfast club I wrote down a bunch of lines for like worst line but then I realized like I just didn't like the character <laughs> like it was right, just, right. it was just a, yeah it was just, it was just like a lot like I didn't like it because it was like an well, annoying I know who you're character. talking about in breakfast club and I like him and I don't like him right exactly <laughs> it was like all the almost all the lines I wrote oh were my his gosh lines yeah and I was like but- you suck and but like that's but the you point also of, are saying some good stuff right which is like which is like the point of the line like that means they're good lines because it makes right. me like the character like all like i wrote down right. so many of biff line biff's lines at the beginning and then i was just like <laughs> these aren't the worst lines because this is setting up the no. character of biff like right. this is and, like even though i'm just like annoyed by biff and like all the like spilled your uh i spilled beer all over it when the car hit me like who's like that's not the worst line because that's the character no. of biff but like it pissed me off because Biff pissed yes, me off. That um, is. So my the line the line I wrote down was actually like fairly similar to yours and like not like the he's not buying into the time travel, but it's kind of it's right at the end where he goes back when he's like, oh my gosh, I have to like before he goes back to 85 and he goes, wait a minute, I got all the time I want. I have a time machine. I can just go back and warn him. It's just like so on the nose and so yep. obvious. And it's like, mm-hmm. it goes to your point of like, he's been waffling between like believing it and not. Yeah. So that was just like, okay, whatever. It just was so obvious that it was like, all right. But like, that was the only line that I really felt that I was like, I don't like this. Like, I couldn't find yeah. a line that I was like, I don't like. It was like, I don't like the character, but like that means the script is doing well because right, I don't right, like the right. character because I'm not supposed to like the character. Um, what was your best line? Because I mean, we were talking line. about earlier about how hard it was to pick one because it was so. Or for me, oh, it was hard to pick one. Yeah, you, you. <laughs> you said it was easy. You said it was easy. Yes. Okay, what was yours? Uh, if my calculations are correct, when this baby hits 88 miles per hour. You're going to see some serious shit. <laughs> okay. Why was that your best line? I just love it. I love it because that, I don't know, because that's what's going to happen. And like Doc does this, Christopher Lloyd does uh. a fantastic job of making uh, the mad scientist actually a total badass. Like oh, completely. That is your first glimpse, I think. Before then, we don't really see him very much. And when he first shows up, he's all over the place. He's like a freaking, you know, frizzy-haired hurricane. And he's just moving and talking, and you don't really know what's going on. But then he'll do this thing where he, like, slows down, and he, like, smirks a little bit, and he drops this, like, totally friggin' cool line on you, and it's like, oh my god, he's so cool. (laughs) And then you see, like, oh, that's why Marty hangs out with this guy, because... He's awesome. Right. So, and that is really, it sums up the movie. It does. The car hits 88. It's going back in time. And And you're going to see some serious shit. going back in time. It's, or the future or whatever, it like creates blazing tire marks of flame. And like, 
it's in a cool car. It's just cool. Like the whole thing is cool. And like that could very much be, you know, if you were allowed to put the word shit on a poster, like that could be a tagline for the movie. Oh, absolutely. (laughs) And then he does it kind of again at the end does that same thing where he just like drops into that cool guy mode and he's like roads where we're yep. going we don't need roads he's <laughs> like why are you so cool <laughs> uh because he's christopher lloyd christopher lloyd's <laughs> yeah. side note um this is the second week in a row that yes. we have had a co- continuity of christopher lloyd but i want to point out we had from our first week with nightmare alley to knives out we had a tony collette continuity tony collette. So I think we need a continuity with like somebody who was in one of these movies oh, next, for our next episode because we're just on a I, I don't know if we can keep that up, but I just just realized that as we were talking about Christopher Lloyd because he was in Clue. Hmm. Interesting. Yes, and I knew he was in Clue, and then I was thinking like, okay, he is in three movies that I consider to be near perfect movies. We What's did the Clue. other one? Back to the Future, Who Framed Roger Rabbit. Oh which yeah. Is mm-hmm. like I I don't really care what other people think about it. I have analyzed the script already. It is tight. It is solid. It is so masterful. We're going to have to do this movie. Absolutely. I don't care. Absolutely. Like that's a div- that's a whole other episode. I just need everybody to know I am obsessed with Who Framed Roger Rabbit. And I did know that. And so. Christopher Lloyd is in that movie as well. So 3 and if I went back and, like, rewatched some more, you know, Christopher Lloyd gems from the late 80s and early 90s, I'd probably find more probably that I think more. are pretty great, too. So, Absolutely. Um, so, um, yeah. No, I think, that, I think that fits your criteria of, like, setting yeah. up the movie. Mine did not. I, a lot of the lines I wrote down were just because they were just, like, well-crafted lines. Um, I have so many. A lot of them just, like, were the, like the doc kind of like oh there's a rhythmic ceremonial ritual coming up what a great way to what a (laughs) well-constructed way to explain a dance um Mm but in like some of the ronald reagan the actor i mean like a classic line but though you don't you don't just walk into a store and buy plutonium marty says to him and then maybe not in yeah. And then when he then later on when he's at his house in 1955 and he's like, I'm sure that in 1985 plutonium is available in every corner drugstore. Or the um the um what is it the oh and they radiation saying, suit because of all the fallout yeah. from the atomic wars like so like so well crafted. But my lines were my my best line was not actually a doc line. This is, and I think for me, this really goes, it maybe is not the best line in the movie, but I think it is my favorite line because it is the one I remember the most. It is the one I quote constantly, and it actually belongs to Biff, which is mm-hmm. shocking. But my favorite line is, so why don't you make like a tree and get out of here? Because I just <laughs> yes, think it is such good. a stupidly great, like oh, it is man. so dumb. It is, I mean, there are so many good lines in this movie. I had such a hard time choosing one. But when I was thinking about it after I'd watched the movie, I let it sit for a day before I chose which line I was going to do. And I was like, that's the one I kept coming back to. It just yeah. makes me giggle because it's so this dumb. This is classic, and it's, just classic character. And like as far as a writing construction goes, it's such a good line for that character. Because that character yeah. <laughs> thinks he's all cool and thinks he's all intense and and um, like intimidating. And then he says the dumbest thing like mm-hmm. you, you, like and it, and because you expect him to say make like a tree and leave 
the fact that he says and get out of here is just so funny <laughs> and so well constructed so i was like i know this doesn't fit what i normally look for in best line but it was just like I love it. I, I kept coming back to it. So that was my best line. And it's just funny because so many of my like, quote unquote, worst lines, even though they were like good because they fit the character of Biff. And I think that's actually what it comes down to is like the, the lines for Biff are so well done. Like, you know, who yeah. that character oh, yeah. is. They're so well constructed. And he's a caricature for sure. But they're so well done. Absolutely. I've always really liked. Hello. McFly. <laughs> I mean, we used to say that to each other all the time, Whoa. like when I was little. I do love Ronald Reagan, the actor, though. It's just a great line. Ro- yeah, the way it's said, the way it's delivered. The actor? Great line. <laughs> was um, Jerry Lewis the vice president? And, the, and then, like, the subsequent naming of, like, all of yeah, the people every, who, yes. the cabinet. It's so, so good. No, it's a great movie. I'm so glad we watched it, even if yes. there's some space time continuum. Which there's, I, I really feel like there's always going to be. Always. Like, you just can't put a nice bow on it and be like, there it is. Because it's so complicated and we really don't know anything about it. You know? Like, we can, as just a normal person, we can sit and talk about, like, you want to do like the Avengers thing where they're just talking about oh everything they know about time travel is from a movie, basically, right? right. And he's like, are you telling me Back to the Future is full of shit? Like, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I'm sure that there are fantastically smart and knowledgeable people in this subject but there's still no practical application no. for us to be like, oh, yeah, that's what happened. That's what happened. You know? Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I mean, kind it's... of afraid of there ever being that. <laughs> I, I don't want to see that happen. Uh-uh. No, thanks. No, no, no. I, I'm, I'm, good, I'm good without that. I'm good. Yeah. I'm good without altering the, the course of my history. Should we uh, trans- transition to the, the Breakfast Club? Sure. Um, so, so what were your thoughts, like, overall? Okay, so when... I have never seen any of the... I've seen Ferris Bueller, uh-huh. but I had never seen... I've never seen 16 Candles. Okay. I've not seen... You Freddy had not Inc. seen this? No, I had not <gasps> seen The Breakfast Club. Which is... Okay, so I, I don't what did know you how think? I missed that. I... So, I, I was of two minds about it. One, okay. I really enjoyed it. Yes. Like, I really enjoyed it. It was a fun movie. I, like, very much enjoyed the movie. Yeah. And two, holy crud, there's a lot of problematic elements in this movie. Yeah, yeah. And also recognizing, not apologizing for when it was made, but recognizing when it was made. And, but, like, the problematic elements to me are just, like, so much of it was, like, the complexities of high schoolers, you know? Right, right. That's kind of what I came to, too. Like, there were a few jokes that were just off-color. Yes. There were some things that were problematic that were more in, like, these kids are fucking struggling, you know? Like, this, and this is how, and you can take away, like, 
the words it's delivered with, the way it's delivered, the subject matter or whatever, and go, you and I both know from working with teenagers for years that this is still what goes on in their lives. They are still struggling. They don't know how to handle these things. And they say and do some pretty terrible shit as a as a way to cope, as a way to try to navigate, as a way Get to attention. try to yeah, deal with what's going on at home or at school with you know, or not every society. teacher is a great teacher like you who like you know, pays attention and and I, I think most of the time teachers are the good guys, but we do have teachers just like in this movie who are antagonistic, aggressive, violent, threatening, and are ruining these children's emotional and mental well-beings. I mean... There are also parents who are horrendous. So, I mean, I think there was was a lot of accurate representation in it. I think that there were, I mean, obviously words that I'm like, ooh, that's not good. Uh, There's one part where Bender talks about how Claire is a fat person's name. And yeah, that whole thing I was, like that to me like that was that probably I mean I guess we can just place. we can just dive into it right now. I mean I think and so this goes back to like what I was saying with Back to the Future was how many of the lines that I wrote down as worst lines were because the character wasn't ass or the character was acting out in Bender's case versus how many of the lines were just like I this isn't a good line for the script. And so that like that monologue that Bender has where he was talking about how Claire is a fat person. Theme, I'm like, this is really like, this really bothers me too much. It was. And I don't think it was necessary, you know, no, and it just goes into deep. It just digs mm-hmm. and digs mm-hmm. and digs in well, a way that like very... is super fat phobic and yeah. And misogynistic and, all of these things that like, maybe that's the point of the character and that this is a troubled kid, which clearly he is. He Absolutely. But there are so many other ways that that has been d- shown in the movie. That, that it's line very is just kind of like. <sighs> it's very clear. And the, and I put this very much on Judd Nelson and his performance, which I'll talk a little bit more about. It's very clear that the character likes her in mm-hmm. the way that we use in high school terminology. He's He's got a crush on her. He's very interested in her from the minute she walks in or the minute he walks in and, and interacts with her. Right. So it felt, you know, there were these times where he'd be sexually inappropriate, which was like most of the my, with her. Wh- which was one of my worst lines or was my worst line. Um, I don't excuse it, but you get that. Like, he's trying to get her attention. He's trying to be this, you know, like, bring it up, bring the topic into the conversation and stuff. And and teenagers do that. That's all they want to talk about sometimes. And that's why, like, like, from a script perspective, I had a really hard time saying, like, really hard time parsing out, like, is this the worst line? Or... Like, is this what I think is a worse line because of writing conventions? Or is it something that, like, I just don't like this aspect of the character, you know? Right. 
And, and so I think there are a lot of his lines that like you kind of ugh, like you kind of bristle at a little bit. And it's like, OK, he's it's that thing that we all sort of agree on, like he's being antagonistic, A, to try and get her attention, B, because he doesn't really know how to act around her, C, because he doesn't want to seem like he likes her. He does not want her to think that. And that's like kind of when he goes overboard with the lipstick thing, like he's very, very mean to her. And uh-huh. I think that's kind of him like, she's st- every time she starts to get really comfortable with him, he goes into jerk mode, like big time jerk mode. This didn't really fit any of that. He just had a random tirade about fat people. And I think that John Hughes just really thought that was funny. Like that was just a funny observation that he wrote and really thought it was going to land. And because it doesn't really make sense for a teenager to be talking about that at all. That's not an observation that they would make. Maybe if they heard it from like an adult being really inappropriate, but like, it just doesn't fit. I think you're right. It doesn't, I don't think it serves the story, the character. It, doesn't fit with any of his motivations really it's just john hughes thinking he's got something quirky to say about fat women which just it just it like honestly made me mad and like there were so many things that bender said that did serve the character that were antagonistic and frustrating and like i really hated but it served the character and didn't feel like just ugh, gross so that, that's where I would say my worst line landed. Um, I'm interested to hear what yours is, but it also kind of feeds into the article you sent me that you're going to share. We're going to share on the website and in links um, that was written by Molly Ringwald kind of about watching this movie in retrospect. Yeah. And she does talk about that, about uh, some of John Hughes, like early work for mm-hmm. what magazine was it for? I think it was, was it mad? No, it was National Lampoon. It was National Lampoon. And he did have a lot of, like, very misogynistic stuff. A lot of fatphobic stuff. Um, and, And I will say that I don't think that this movie is as problematic as 16 Candles. Which I haven't seen. (laughs) I, I don't think you need to see it, honestly. There's something about Breakfast Club that I think just, like, if we're talking about pin the tail on the donkey, like, yeah, he missed the ass a couple times, but he did get the tail, like, right on there. it works. This movie works. This is, this, I, I hope someday this movie becomes outdated in its representation of what teenagers go through in their family life absolutely and their school life and i, I mean, don't think it will i think there will always be some and i'm just going to say i did not have any experience like this let me clear this up i had a fantastic relationship with my parents same um i you know i, I didn't feel any of these like Uh, social struggles, but it existed and I'm aware of it. And as an adult have seen very acutely how these parental uh, teenage dynamics that I didn't really experience at all do affect 
children. So it was almost more like profound to me as an adult who has spent, God, 12 years um, working in in, uh, an extracurricular facet with uh, preteens and teenagers. Like, Absolutely. I definitely thought much more as a teacher, especially like, I mean, we don't need to get in too deep to this, but especially with like Brian's monologue about him feeling pressure and yeah. uh, content warning. There is a mention, uh, there is a character in breakfast club who does talk about suicide or um, suicidal ideation. And like, that was something that was very, yeah, like something I, I saw a lot as a teacher and it's devastating, but that monologue that he gives is like, I, I got it. I, I yeah. understand. And, and the other monologue uh, that honestly, like, I'm going to drop the audio in because I just think it's a fantastic, both of them are fantastic. Uh, And Emilio Estevez sort of like flies under the radar the whole movie. He is, he is subtle. Yes. He is quiet. He's not drawing the attention that, that Judd Nelson and Molly Ringwald are drawing at all. And then he lays out this monologue he lays out this monologue that, like, so heartbreakingly encapsulates the psyche of a teenage athlete. A teenage boy, just in teenage general. Teenage boy. And the generational toxic masculinity trauma that, you know, it, it's fantastic. It's- I I think that that whole thing probably is what I would consider the best line of the movie, but for like brevity's sake, you know, I'm probably not ever going to choose like a, a, an actual monologue because then we're in monologue. We didn't say best monologue. We said best line. He's always going off about, you know, when he was in school, all the wild things he used to do. And I, I got the feeling that he was disappointed that I never cut loose on anyone, right? So I'm, I'm sitting in the locker room and I'm taping up my knee and Larry's undressing a couple lockers down from me. And he's kind of, he's kind of skinny, weak. And I started thinking about my father and his attitude about about weakness. And the next thing I knew, I, I jumped on top of him and, and started wailing on him. And my friends, they just laughed and cheered me on. And afterwards, when I was sitting in, in, in Vernon's office, All I could think about was Larry's father and Larry having to go home and and explain what happened to him. And the humiliation, fucking humiliation he must have felt. It must have been unreal. 
you, you apologize for something like that. There's no way. It's all because of me and my old man. Eat him. He's like this. He's like this mindless machine that I can't even relate to anymore. Andrew, you've got to be number one. I won't tolerate any losers in this family. Your intensity is for shit. Win, win, win. You son of a bitch. You know sometimes. I wish my knee would give, and I wouldn't be able to wrestle anymore. And he could forget all about me. That monologue yeah. broke me. And like, yeah. I mean, as you said, like talking about toxic masculinity, and like th- this movie was made. Can I do math? Almost no, almost years forty ago. years ago. And the fact and that's that still that, that almost I mean, every I, teenage boy. I mean, I talk choir watching, like, watching, or I talk choir watching, like, the men's choir grapple with emotion and be allowed to be emotional because that's not something that teenage boys feel they're allowed to do. And I feel like, I hope it's changing, but to see that this is almost 40 years old and, like, that that is still a thing. That you have this jock who is supposed to be macho and masculine and his all these things. His dad is literally not only pressuring him to to give up his entire life for a sports scholarship, mm-hmm. but also to, on top of that, abuse his peers yeah. because that's a sign of manliness to him. So it's like... It's devastating. You know, it's like be this perfect student athlete, but also be an asshole because that's what will make you a man. Like, what the fuck? (laughs) You know, and that movie forces you to look at like, what is that doing to the actual person? This is a person. We say teenager a bunch or we say kid or child or whatever. But all of those are just different stages of being a friggin' human. Yeah. And you can't, and and nobody, I don't want to say nobody, obviously. There is this sort of, like, cognitive dissonance that a lot of parents had and still have in this, like, we sit and analyze what all these things do to us. And we take things so personally and, like everything you know we're outraged and we're emotional and we're reactive but we never give that same courtesy that this other human just because they're a generation younger than us just because they're in school just because they're not an adult we never give them that same allowance we never think about like oh what is this doing to them right and it's out of control (laughs) And, yeah. the, and 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 the fact that this movie still does resonate obviously means. Well, that I think that's what makes the movie so good. From that, yeah. yeah, yeah. I mean, because it does. Like, there are definitely things with the writing, and I mean, in that Molly Ringwald essay where she's talking about the problematicness of their, like, I mean, when uh, Bender 
physically assaults Claire multiple times. Like that's incredibly problematic. And he still gets the girl at the end. I think that's probably, I'd say, what really, like, if they were to remake this movie, I don't think they'd have to change very much. No. But I think that we should examine how Claire ultimately feels about him. Yeah. we're going to have them get together, even if it's just for a kiss in the parking lot, then, like some of his, most of his behavior needs to be toned down or she needs to have a conversation with him about it. Claire stands up for herself. It's not like she just takes all of it. She's constantly fighting back. I think that there's a version of this movie where she should have been a little more vocal about this bullshit was inappropriate and then maybe just left the door open because that would show that she changed that she's yeah. willing to speak to him in the future, that she did learn something from this day. But also, like, you can't be an asshole to me if we're going to be friends or hang out in other capacities or whatever. Right. You know? You, and that's all you... it would have taken for it to be, like, this bad boy, this bad boy behavior and whatever trauma you're bringing to, like, your relationships with your peers is not going to be considered attractive you know um did you with that did you say what your worst line was i didn't i re- <laughs> but it goes into kind of like what we were just talking about like the uh the physical assault i absolutely hated when he says hey close that door we'll get the prom queen impregnated yep. i was mm-hmm. like nope i nope. hated that nope. stop that right now don't say that yes. no i hated yeah that was that was one of the first things i wrote down too yep. and it's like it's again one of those like you understand the character and you understand where that's but like yeah. the, I think how far past the line that would, that would be. Right. And I mean, and it's also not something. And sadly, I don't think it's something that wouldn't be said too, you know? And oh, that's yeah, no, no, not at all. I just hated it. it. Yeah. I hated it too. And, and there was this, and God, I mean, it's been so long since I read this, but I did read this interesting article that was all about like, um, about how for many decades uh the the represented teenage experience on film or even in tv shows to some extent but a lesser extent was like really about virginity yeah and we see that a lot here and i think i think it's downplayed a little bit more nowadays but not that much not that much Um, it's still a huge you know, we think about you think about how people really get upset about like the female like this the female identity being wrapped up in like your biggest milestone is your wedding um, yeah. or having a baby. We I think that's what's been done like to teenagers. Whether we um, whether you as a individual person take any stock in that the general societal perception is that the milestone of your teenage years is losing Losing your virginity virginity. whether or not it happens when you are a teenager or not it is such a pervasive social pressure in general is like how much like it's so exactly when you're like 
I mean, it's one of the, as you said, like being a female, like, oh, getting married and getting, like having a baby, like people register and get presents for all those things. I haven't got, gotten married, haven't done all these things, yeah. but I like moved across country during a pandemic. Yeah. Like we're not celebrating, like that's not a, right, right, like, right. Hey, I'm registering for my new apartment. You know, it's just like, that's not a thing that we, that we celebrate in the same way. I mean, I very much feel like I was celebrated and I celebrated it, but like societally, that's not like the, oh, you're getting married. But it's it's just so interesting that that is. And the the other thing, and this kind of goes, the other part of the movie that I was like, oh, that really irked me. Um, I mean, Vernon, but like that character, I just God. have thoughts on. But that was, but the other one was when um, Allison, the makeover at the end. And then it's like, oh, you're so yeah. beautiful. I'm just like, she was cool. Like she was cool and edgy and beautiful. I'm like, well, yeah, you can see her. Well, I like that. I like that he was like, you, he I can sort see her of is like, And so it worked. Yeah. It wasn't as awful, but it was also like, I, we just didn't need to make her over. We didn't need it. And I think that he didn't, I don't think he was so enthusiastic about the makeover that like. No, he wasn't. But just he was the, the thing of it happening in general. Attracted to her before. I yes. think it was more just like shocked. Like, oh, wow, you did that? Like. Right. And, he, and he does kind of have this, like, you didn't have to do that. I like, you know, right. you look good both ways, basically, is what he I was trying to I just think it didn't need to, to happen. But it didn't need to happen. I agree. When it was happening, I was like, oh, yeah, I forgot she did this. Why? And I guess she's just like, because you're letting me do it. I don't know. She's bored. Yeah. And she, I think, of everyone, out of everyone, doesn't really learn the lesson. Claire. Oh, Claire, no, there I don't definitely, think so you, you, There's this moment where you kind of feel like maybe she did. No. Um, you know, when Brian's hassling her, and they all kind of gang up on her and tell her that mm -hmm. she's being a brat. And, mm -hmm. and then you do kind of see her, like, soften towards Bender, and you see that interaction that she has with Allison, and it's like, oh, okay, maybe she's gonna decide to be be friendly, be a little more open-minded and blah, blah, blah. But then she asks Brian, she like manipulates Brian into doing the paper. Yeah. And it's like, you didn't learn a damn thing. No. And that whole exchange <laughs> that she has about like, well, my friends are different. Like, like I loved Brian's line. This wasn't my favorite. This wasn't my favorite line, but Brian's line of like, well, we like, or Allison's line. I can't remember. It was one of them. Like, we, my friends wouldn't, I wouldn't, I don't have, we oh, it was Allison. She was you, like, yeah. I wouldn't, I wouldn't have friends that would make me not hang out with you guys. Yeah. And like, just like, I mean, Claire's blaming her friends at the end. She's not blaming herself. She's blaming her friends. And like, yeah, that's a and, very I, and, and, and I loved the line where Bender, where Bender immediately turned that back around on her, did not let her get away with that. And he says, she says, did you, are you calling me a bitch for being honest? And he says, no, because you know we're calling... I don't know if he says we're calling you a bitch, but he says you because you know it's a shitty thing to do to people and you don't have the balls to stand up to your friends and tell them that you're going to like who you want to like. Right. So I do like that he puts that right back on her and is like, you can blame your friends all you want, but you could stand up to your friends and tell them that that's bullshit. Yeah. Yeah. That just bothered me. And it's a very teenage thing to do. I mean, it's, I mean, it's a very oh, human yeah, yeah, thing yeah. to do, I think. Is well, being... yeah. And we see, I mean, there, we talked about the parental pressure, mm -hmm. but the peer pressure, obviously, oh, we see obviously. the peer pressure, like, 
full force in this movie, you know, the peer pressure to want to be a person who's lost their virginity. Um, the peer pressure to three of them lie about smoke it. the marijuana. Hmm? Three of them lie about their virginity. Yeah. Allison, Brian, and Claire all do. Well, I, Claire I think lies, but they all do. I, I don't think any of them have had sex. No. That's Maybe my... Maybe Bender. I, no, I don't think so. But I think he I, wants I people to think so. Right. I agree. I think they all want everyone to think so, except Claire doesn't want anyone to think so. But she doesn't not want them to think so either. Right. She will let them think it, and then she will say that, you know, she doesn't want to talk about it, and then give off this air of, like, how dare you talk about my sexuality. Right, exactly. (laughs) Which I did love the exchange (laughs) with, like, when Allison just starts lying about it is amazing it was so funny it's so good she's like i'll do anything sexual and i don't need a million dollars to do it either and then she starts making up the story about like very inappropriate story about her incredibly inappropriate and one of them's like are you crazy and brian says obviously she's crazy if she's screwing a shrink (laughs) i i will say there were a lot of lines i wrote down that had a similar type of like some of the cute like the humor some of the patter and the way like some of Brian's lines early on when they're talking about clubs and he's like, I'm in the math club and like yes. nobody's paying attention to him. He's like, I'm in the physics club. It was just like so funny. Like he's so tiny funny in this movie. So good. And heartbreaking because he has the yeah. monologue too. That is just heartbreaking. I think that if I had to, like I chose this line just because it like, like I said, not, not that I had like, strange or awful relationship with my parents at all but I would say that this just sort of to me this line sort of encapsulated like just the pressure of the American teenager whether it's coming from your parents or not Mm -hmm. when he says um I can't have enough I can't have it and I know my parents can't have it and you can Mm -hmm. kind of like take out the word parents and insert anything we yeah. put so much pressure on them to absolutely to excel at whatever in this very short window of time when they have like so much other shit going on in their brains and bodies and it's like my and it's god all arbitrary it's all an arbitrary yeah like, absolutely. it's shop class shop class is subjective yeah i mean it's no i totally agree um, and, so then, last- and then that that like broke him down like just the idea of getting an f in an easy class or in any class was like the end of his life as a 16 year old and quite literally could have been the end of his life the way he was talking about so my best line was also a brian line actually Mm -hmm. and it was the first line of the movie oh yeah i mean i I think that sets up first and last first i mean it's the same line or one of the the letter yeah it's iconic it's it's such a good it's iconic it sets up the movie so well i mean mm-hmm. and as i said like i'd never seen the movie i i actually like really didn't have a full conception of like that it was a full day in detention like i didn't really yeah. <laughs> I, I didn't really know which is just like how how have i made it to this part and like 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 
call myself a movie buff, not seeing The Breakfast Club or really even knowing the plot of it, like that's a conversation for another time. But the line, the, the, but you're crazy to make us write this essay telling you who we think we are. What do you care? You see us the way you want to see us in the simplest terms, the most convenient definitions. You see us as a brain, an athlete, a basket case, a princess, a criminal. And that comes back at the end and they all take a piece of that at the end. And then Mm -hmm. the iconic uh bender walking across the field which this he just did nobody told him to do that he just did it such a good shot totally (laughs) ad-libbed i mean so much of this movie too is so like the don't you forget about me it's just Mm -hmm. it's so iconic and i mean i knew those scenes i knew those bits and so i think like just the way the framing with that line how it bookends the movie it it takes on a different meaning at the beginning. It's like, okay, that's how we saw each other this morning too, reduced to these very, very like one word definitions. And at Mm -hmm. the end, by them each taking a bit of it, we're all this, it totally changes. It, it it shows the complexities of what being not only a teenager, a human is. Yeah. And I think it just, it frames the movie so well. So that's, that was like, whereas you said back to the future was easy for you to choose your best line. It was easy for me to choose this one because it was like, oh, done. I'm done. Like right away. Yeah. <laughs> like, there were yeah. parts I, there were other parts. Like I wrote down the Andrew monologue because I thought it was brilliant. I wrote down the whistling scene where they're all just <laughs> whistling. I, I just like, that. I loved it. Like that's there not a some line, other, but I love it. There was something else I was watching too where, what is that? Um, It's in Parent Trap too. It's, it's in a, it's in a lot of things. Yeah. And I'm just like, how would they know that though? You just hear it. <laughs> it's one of those old things you just do. Yeah, that's true. Um, it, it, no. it was like, for me, it was like a bootstrap paradox. Yes. I was like, we all just know it. How do we know it, though? How do we know it? Because I was like, wow. I just knew it. At that point, I just knew it, but I don't know where I would have known it right. from. Fi- you know, 15 or 16-year-old me watching this movie knew about the Bridge Over River Kwai, but I had never seen it. I've never seen it. Uh, <laughs> so it was like, when... when was the first time I heard it. Oh, from some other movie that had kids in it, probably. Well, how would those kids know it? I don't know. It's a weird Well, that thing. is a wonderful callback. A, <laughs> the, the Bootstrap Paradox. And probably a good place to, to wrap up. I, uh, I did to... have to say, I, we have a little bit of trivia here. So we, we talked oh, about this okay. a little bit earlier. When I was watching, I was like, okay, Molly Ringwald looks like very young in this movie which she was 17 she was 17 that is crazy like we make jokes now about like people playing teenagers when they're not teenagers but like can you imagine how hard that must have been and like anthony she talks about it and anthony michael hall was 17 um but yeah when i was watching it i was like okay judd nelson feels very much like an adult to me and this that's part of what was making that dynamic like really uncomfortable because it was like he seems really old yeah and she is very clearly a teenager very clearly and so i had to look it up he was 26 oh wow that's a big time uh she molly ringwald and anthony michael hall were 17 ali sheedy and emilio Estevez were 23 yes this is a term that's been in the, uh, it's a buzz term. It's been circling around a lot recently because of a couple people who support it and don't support it. But we have a case of method acting. 
Oh, I did. Chad Nelson apparently would refuse to get out of character and continued to antagonize and harass Molly Ringwald off camera. Which is like when you then then when you take that out of context of like he was 26 and she was 17, like that is super problematic. And she like there should have been like there should have been like even if she was a full adult, he almost got fired. Well, good. But I mean, the rest of the cast, and I don't know if that included Molly herself, but it sounded like multiple other actors had to talk John Hughes out of firing him. Whoa. Um, Yeah. When like when the movie was like half done, he was going to fire him. Um, and everybody was kind of like, well, first of all, the movie's half done. I mean, they were young. They probably didn't want to do it all over again. Jeez. And I mean, also, he is the like, movie. Fender is that yes, movie. It's like, you know, who who else would you have gotten? Well, I did like, think that Emilio Estevez was originally supposed to be Fender. And John Cusack uh, was originally considered for the role. Um, I can see it. They ultimately slightly decided unstable. that he didn't look tough enough. Yeah, but he plays slightly unstable really well. I don't think that character necessarily needs to look tough. No. He has all these other defense mechanisms going on to to tell people that he's tough, quote unquote, you know. Um, so I did. <laughs> uh, so there's my little trivia. We have their ages. Um, and... We had this this uh, very early uh, method acting. <laughs> I re- you know I'm sure it's been going on you know longer than we yes. know about, but like longer than Daniel. Day I Lewis. really thought it was Daniel Day Lewis. Sort of was the one who was like, I'm just never going to get out of character. But I guess that would have been around the same time because when yeah. was my left foot? Eighty two. Oh gosh, I don't know or something. Anyway, I did have this sort of really funny idea when the movie ended, that maybe there's this, like, alternate reality or there's this other version of this movie (laughs) where Bender is a con artist just trying to get jewelry out of rich girls. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, my gosh. That would be a really great, like, sketch version of this movie. Yes. Like, that's an (laughs) SNL sketch. She gives him the diamond, and I'm like... and, And there's, you know, this whole... The movie leaves you wondering, are they, you know, are they actually going to, like, be together? You know, you... I would say no. No, I don't think they are. But then there's, like, but, you know, we kind of tell that he likes her and they have this bond. But then I was just kind of like, what if he doesn't care about any of that? And the whole thing he was trying to do was get some jewelry off of her. (laughs) Some expensive thing from whatever, whoever the rich person is. And that's why he's just constantly getting himself more detention because he can do this every weekend and make a pretty good, uh, pretty good haul. <laughs> you know, what else, what else does he have in his collection? from being socially savvy and always at detention. I will say like, I mean, not knowing much about this movie going into it. I knew Molly Ringwald was in it. I knew Amelia Estevez was in it. And I think I knew, I knew there was like this stereotype, like the bad boy, the jock, the nerd, the princess, the kind of like loner. 
but I didn't realize, I, I thought, I mean, it does hinge a lot on Molly Ringwald, but like, I didn't realize like, it is Bender's movie. It is like, oh, a yeah, 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 yeah. master. I mean, that character is masterful. And like, for all of the like, I mean, Judd Nelson's great. I mean, the method acting is incredibly problematic. Yeah. And he's great. Yeah. Yeah. No, you are totally right. Like, it, that's the that's the hard part about it. That's the that's it's very conflicting. Incredibly. I hate and love the character. Mm-hmm. And it is like, an incredible character. Incredible character. I it's, cannot it's, excuse like a dozen of things he that he says or does. Some of it I can excuse if I'm just taking the like taking this as a character, like if I'm believing that this is a real person, which I absolutely can do. Yep. I have met children mm-hmm. like this. Yep. With these problems frequently and seen them go through this yep. this cycle of punishment from mm-hmm. everywhere and they don't know how to deal with it. They don't know how to get out of it. Absolutely. So I mean, it's, I think, you know, this is a real, I can buy this character easily, very 100%. easily. And I mean, you can uh, excuse some of the behavior in this empathetic, understanding way. Clearly, we could talk about the issues presented in this movie and our respective experience working with teenagers for a while. Um, but I mean, I, I thoroughly enjoyed the assignment this week. I really liked breakfast club and it's also we did not really like get into this as much the movie is freaking hilarious like funny it's so funny so so many i laughed out loud at least so many times times. oh i wrote down so many fantastic subtle background humor going on all the time all the place physical humor like it is it is a very so funny movie. Funny. Like we talk about how dramatic and intense it gets when these kids start laying out their problems, but like the movie is it's really funny. a comedy. It is funny. Yeah. I mean, one of my favorite lines, one of the things I wrote down is like a favorite line was what do you need a fake ID for? So I can vote. To vote. Like, and it just yes. like how it's so obvious. Like, <laughs> duh, so I can vote. I love um, that too. Yes. Like, just, and like the, the the scene where they all get high is like so iconic. And like, yeah. I mean, as you said, the, the whistling scene, the, who needs to use the lavatory and they all like raise their hand is like so well-timed, so funny. Like we didn't get into that at all. And we also didn't know. get into Vernon. We didn't get into him. Because I, I, I don't care. I don't care. Because in the beginning, because I don't, Okay, I do that character bothered me a lot this time because yeah. in the beginning I was really like empathizing with the man. I was like, "Man, yeah. this sucks." And then I but I totally forgot about the shit that he pulls in the end when he's like physically abusive, abuse mentally and emotionally abusing Bender and physically threatening him. Yeah. And first like he says like- at first he says he's going to wait until Bender is graduated or out of school or whatever and accost him in the street Which and then is, he's like you know what screw it no i'll just beat you up in this closet if you throw a punch at me just throw just punch me and like that scene is so important for bender too yeah. because you really see like yeah he is putting on this tough guy persona but mm-hmm. he's a kid he's yeah. a kid and he's confused 
Like, how confused would you be if a teacher did that to you? Like, the look on his face, he is just like, cannot believe this is happening. Does not know what to do or say. He's like... And I think he does a fantastic job of portraying that in that scene. And it is, it's heartbreaking. It's like... Yeah, there's so much depth. So much depth. So I was too mad at him. I had, like, other notes yeah. where I thought he was, like, funny. And I was like, you know, I really sympathize no. with the teacher that has to do this. And then I was like, you know what? No, fuck you. No, I, I was like, you're on a power trip. I actually yeah. like, liked the, the janitor's line. Like, dude, you've changed. Like, kids yeah. haven't changed. Yeah. You're, you're the one who's become hardened and jaded and all of these things and like I, I i appreciated that now i'm glad we watched this i'm glad that we took a trip to 1985 it was a good year for movies and tv and excited for our next uh, time travel adventure there i feel like that i feel like i could keep talking about practice. i mean i could too but i feel like we should probably wrap <laughs> up eventually absolutely i think clearly we could we could do a whole podcast on like a whole season on the breakfast club and john hughes um but we probably i'm sure don't somebody have already has i'm sure somebody already has um what are we doing next time well because i found out last time that you have not seen my cousin Vinny, we're ah. gonna do my cousin Vinny. okay and so i thought it would be fun to look at that movie and also look at you know maybe another movie that uh, focuses around a trial or takes a, a look at like the struggles of becoming a new attorney. So I put it out on Instagram and there was a there was a resounding majority for I think I voted for this. I movie. think you did too. <laughs> for legally blonde. Yes. Which I will admit I have seen one time. One what? time. Oh my gosh. Okay, so this is the movie. This is one of the movies that I can quote. Like yeah, I, I can, can I guarantee you. <laughs> I can absolutely guarantee you that so, I can I will sit through this movie and like mouth the words, yep, if not nope. say them out loud. So this is gonna be yes. like and I I mean honestly when I'm saying I saw it one time, I saw it like in 2000 like when it came out on video i didn't see it in the theater i think i saw it like i think my mom and my sister like went to the video store this is how old i am they were like went to a blockbuster and while i was like at the at school like doing some after school activity and they came back and they put it on like i had no say in the matter they were just like oh here's this new movie and we wa- and I watched it. So, th- I mean, we're talking like 20, 20 years ago. About. Or more. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so this is so going to be like I've never seen it, honestly, for me. Okay. So this is going to be fun because we have one of your favorite movies yes. that I've never seen. Yes. And one of my favorite movies that you've seen once. Mm-hmm. And and then I've never I... really watched like like closely, you know. No. I am so thrilled. This is going to be so fun. Only remember the end because of Linda Cardinelli. Like, I just love her. So, yes, if you want to join in, watch those movies. You will not regret it. Um, I'm clearly very aware that, like, Legally Blonde is a huge deal. It's very funny. It 
has spawned a sequel and a musical. <laughs> and potentially a third one. Really? There's always been talk. There, there are always rumors. There are always rumors. Yeah. So I'm, I'm, oh, I'm excited. excited. Me um, too. I'm very excited. I think this is going to be very fun. It's going to be a fun week. <laughs> we got into like time travel and the struggles of American teenagedom and went real deep. And I think next week is just going to be like a blast. Like it's going to be all I'm... fun. We are not going to have to have like conversations about teachers and parents uh, abusing and anyone. No... Uh, but you know, and no bootstrap paradox, no bootstrap paradox. Right. <laughs> well, we hope you join us then for my cousin Vinny and legally blonde. Yes. Follow us on Instagram, best line, worst line. Um, tell us your best lines, your worst lines from these movies. And we're glad you, we're glad you listened. Thank you. We Thanks, will everybody. see you next time.